Lagos Talks 91.3 and Corporate Shepherds presents the man of the hour. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Enang. This is Navigate with I.D. Brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, my dear friends, to Navigate with IDNN. It's such an honor and privilege to be here today once again. Uh, friends, I want to say a big thank you to you all for the very kind words, for extending the gracious comments uh, to me about the program. Well appreciated. For those of you who still um, want to understand how this wraps, I just want you to understand. I just want you to know that Getting through this period as uh, a business school on radio takes a lot. It takes a lot in the sense that you will find that the issues being brought to the table for our joint learning are issues that are easily dismissed or thrown away. And I just want to bring that to the fore so that we could deal with those little foxes that, that could ultimately destroy the vine. In the last two episodes, we talked about the meetings, and we talked about minutes. They were quite exciting times, and I hope you also appreciated, you know, the context in which they were delivered. I'm going to do something rather different today and in this particular edition and possibly the next. And that is, I would like to delve into an area where not so many people like to talk about, and that is about diagnosing performance issues why people behave as they do. And I'm privileged to be a liberating leadership uh, UK facilitator and also practitioner. I'm going to take most of what I'll be sharing from Derek Biddle and Ali Stewart's liberating leadership. Like I did say, I have the privilege of being a practitioner and these are some of the things that we bring to the table. And just as a matter of head stop, I intend starting from the month of August, I mean, starting from next month specifically, to step into what I would call entrepreneurship class. And it's going to be Entrepreneurship 101. And we'll take that for as long as we can. If it's going to be a summer summer break, a summer school, let's talk about entrepreneurship. Just go into the foundational conversations. And I hope next month you'll find it extremely helpful for many of you who are either in or about to or thinking about it. So for now, let's look at the topic for the day, which is about diagnosing performance issues. You know, many times we do not even understand how behaviors arise. There's what you call the sources of behavior. Most of us have learned to become adept at diagnosing performance issues in our area of technical or specialist expertise. If a piece of equipment is not working properly, or a system is failing, or there are persistent quality problems, what we do is to diagnose the root cause of such problems. We know that to solve the problem, we have to diagnose that problem accurately. There is no point in proceeding otherwise, and we have help available in diagnosing these types of problems using a range of techniques. I bet that you brainstorm, you use flowcharts, you use diagrams, etc. 
But when it comes to diagnosing people's problems, however, we are often much less adept. And you wonder why. We tend to resort to a level of generalization, such as saying it's an attitude problem or a training or a development issue. This is not terribly accurate or helpful in moving things forward. What is necessary is a way of identifying what the problem is and what it really is and the reasons for its occurrence. Now, the difficulty may be that people are seen as much more complicated and unpredictable than things. But there are still ways of understanding what is going on and why. This can be done without getting immersed too deeply in these whole mystical realms of psychology, rather to remain in the behavior and attitudes arena. Let me footnote. One of the points I've had the privilege to share with a lot of teams, I've had to, some of my clients have invited me for two, three-hour programs that are circled around helping to diagnose performance issues. And I've always had the privilege to always follow this track. So you're getting for free what I actually get other people to pay for. But having said that, I want you to understand that people aren't daft. They do things for a reason. Identifying the reason is the most important part of the diagnosis process. And that's what's really important. When you look at minutes of meetings, when people come for meetings and minutes are taken, and then after that, actions are meant to happen, but they don't. How do you then understand that what you discussed or the issues that were tabled were well articulated to the teams or even if not well articulated, what did the company look out for? And how are you able to track the fact that we are productive, we are not productive, or we are better off where we are? But I want to submit to you again that people are not daft. They do things for a reason. And so what I'm going to do is to share an old Hungarian fable, which has a lot to teach us. It is a fable, so don't take it too seriously. And if you follow me and lend me your ears, I'll let you into this world of the fable because it's going to form more or less my pathway into the subject of diagnosing the root cause of performance issues. A man was out fishing in a boat on a lake. It was a beautiful day and the fisherman was feeling pleased with the world. There was a tug on his line and when he reeled it in there was a snake and the snake had a live frog in its mouth. Feeling sorry for the frog, the fisherman took it from the snake and threw the frog back into the water. Then he felt that perhaps that had not been fair on the snake. So he looked around the boat to see what he could give the snake. All he had was a flask of brandy. So he gave the snake a slug of brandy, then threw the snake back in the water. Ten seconds later, there was a loud knocking on the side of the boat, and there was the snake again, this time, with two frogs 
in its mouth. What is the moral of this story? The point of this story is that, number one, what gets rewarded gets done. Number two, you get more of the behaviors you reward. And number three, it is so easy to inadvertently reward the wrong thing. So stepping into the space of diagnosing the root cause of performance issues, we must understand that people tend to do things they find rewarding and avoid doing things where there's a negative consequence or payoff for them. The reason we do or don't do something is much influenced by the perceived rewards or penalties which flow from our actions. Yet, as leaders, we are often guilty of rewarding inappropriate behavior, such as not giving the worst jobs to those who complain most, but instead to those who complain the least, giving the most attention to people who perform poorly and not those who perform highly, or punishing someone for underspending their budget by inappropriately reducing their budget the following year. Does this sound familiar? You find in a work setting that bosses always give the worst jobs to those who complain the least because they are quiet, but they don't give the worst jobs to those who complain the most. In the work setting, people who perform poorly are given the most attention and those who are performing highly are not even looked at because they are seen to be performing. And more importantly, if you've been in corporate or in a work environment, that you have fastidiously managed your budget and did not hit the budget at the threshold of 100 or over, the following year, management will tell you, we gave you 100,000 Naira last year, but you underspent. You spent 80,000. And so this year, your budget is going to be 80,000. Whereas those that were careless, whose budgets were overshot by whatever margin, are then rewarded by maintaining or increasing their budgets, but they reduce the budgets of those who have done the right things. Friends, this is how we set off doing the wrong things simply because we cannot diagnose the root cause of performance issues. But like that old Hungarian fable I shared with you, the fisherman understood what it was to reward what was done or reward work done. And so when we are considering factors in diagnosing performance issues, we must also and always Look at the fact that, do you know if the person knows clearly what is expected? You must understand that factor. Whether the person knows clearly what is expected. In another parlance, you call it explicitness. The other thing you need to understand is whether they are doing what they are doing because they don't have the skills and knowledge acquired. Put it in very sourcing terms, can't do, or whether they do have the capability but choose not to exercise it, which is in a simplistic 
form won't do. So there is explicitness, which is knowing clearly what is expected. There is a can't do, which is exhibited because they don't have the skills and knowledge. And there is a won't do because they choose not to exercise knowledge of their capability. These are the basic tools for diagnosing performance issues. But you know, in everything that we do, there has to be a discipline process to follow. And if you are one that has this challenge, um, there's a pathway. There's something that we call the performance navigator, which is proprietary. And this is what I teach when I help teams. When I talked about consulting for some clients who want to diagnose the root causes of performance issues, they typically will invite me to teach their direct reports or all those who have line management responsibility. So line managers go through this process and I typically take them through a two or three hour intervention on the performance navigator. Unfortunately, I can't do that right now because it entails eye to eye, that is eye to eye. Because I need to look you in the eye and be able to tell you some home truths. Because many of us sitting in that seat called the boss or the manager do not understand many things. Sometimes there's a measure of stress in the situation. And when this is the case, it becomes even more important to have a clear, rational way to diagnose what is going on. It is almost like dealing with a failed diesel engine in a boat at sea. The law seems to be that engines break down when you need them most, sort of. You would understand. It is so easy to get confused or jump to the wrong conclusion or to start stripping the engine down, perhaps, when a simple glance at a diagnostic flow in your manual will give a logical sequence on how to work on it. You could just check to see if there's fuel in the tank. It's better done before stripping the engine down afterwards. Have you seen the way some of our local mechanics in Lagos just take your car there? They will look at it and say, ah, that's the budget. Ah, they say those things without even checking. They just tell you, ah, I don't know why they always shout, ah, the average local mechanic, God delivered me from them maybe over two and a half decades ago because at some point, early start of my life, I had my very wonderful mechanic by name Nuru, God rest his soul. Then I had this resurrected 1600 Subaru that I got from my father. You know, when my friend saw that car in the mechanic, you know, garage where my father had parked it, before he said to me, only Jesus can bring this car to life. And I told him, you're not serious. That was how bad it was. My father just left it there. But I had no other money to buy a new car. So I had to go resurrect it. And of course, it was resurrected by Mr. Ogu. And Nuru became my mechanic. This car will drop in the middle of a Papa Expressway. All I would just do is take a bus or taxi and come back to Ogba, Ijai Road, and then Nuru will bring it back from wherever. But he will start by saying, Ah, Esa, I don't know if you experienced that, but of course, on the other side, experienced mechanics become so familiar with the process that they don't have to 
you know, always use the, ma the manual and they come into a space where they understand what to do. But friends, it is the same in diagnosing people's performance issues. If you follow the process that is in place. Many times, a lot of us do not even understand that you must build up your diagnostic skills by adopting a discipline of walking through a certain stage-by-stage -stage process. Now, what I'm saying to you that may sound very unreal, but is the truth, is that there is a process towards diagnosing performance issues. And it does rest on who? The manager. It does rest on the boss or whoever is the line person or line manager that is taking full responsibility for the individual that reports to him or her. Now, as much as um, I'd want to take this through, I'd like, you know, because it is better we go through this approach and I'm able to share with you, though I've done this. So if, if you want to follow me, you need to take a pen and you need to have a parchment with you because we are going to go through what I call 15 steps. And this is really about the performance navigator. We are going to go through these 15 steps. If we don't end today, we'll continue next episode. But friends, I want to do this to help as many of us as possible. And by the way, let me chip in one thing. This is not just at work. If your son or daughter is not doing well, there's a process to understand how to go about remedying that situation. There's a process to diagnosing performance of your child, your ward, your student, whatever context you want to play. So this is not just about, you know, those at work. And credits to Alice Stewart and Derek Brady for putting so much work from the research to put together the performance navigator. So let's start with a description of the 15 steps. The first step is to define the specific performance behavior, including present undesirable ones and future desirable ones. This is the starting position. If you want to diagnose performance issues, the accuracy of the diagnosis will depend on this particular stage because at this particular stage one or step one, just as a physician starts with the symptoms of an illness, instead of dangerously leaping to conclusions about the nature of the illness, the physician will ask certain questions. So for symptoms, as humans, we can read behaviors. What the person is or is not doing, defined in very clear, explicit behavioral terms. This is the outer ring. And that is where I would learn to talk about something called the onion model. I may not put that fully into this context so that I do not uh, confuse you, but I will probably speak to it at some point in the course of this subject. 
So the very first point is to define specific performance behaviors, including present undesirable ones and future desirable ones. What I'm asking you to do is to take a plain sheet, put there at the top performance issue, what that performance issue is, then draw a line in between the sheet. On the left side, put there, write in present undesirable behaviors. That is what is less required. And we are talking about behaviors. And on the right column, please write in full and capital, if need be, future desirable behaviors. More of what is required. It is very important that you now list out what you consider the undesirable behaviors that the individual is currently putting together or displaying. Then you can then shift to the other side of the, of the page and then put down specifically the behaviors you desire to see. We are not talking here just of poor performance. Many existing good performers could turn in an even better performance by improving in one or two areas. So this is not about poor performance only. It's about performance in general, which could be average, could be poor, it could be good, but it won't necessarily be excellent. You must understand that people are still developing and growing and will do so more surely and quickly with this approach or bottom-up approach that you are adopting. This process is very useful in helping people manage change and transition. This is what is not done in a lot of organizations and by a lot of managers. They think stuff come straight and automatic. You know, I have a, a particular project I uh, within the Corporate Shepherds uh, School, which is targeted at poor performance. And why do I have this? I observed, uh, you know, that I had the privilege of working for so many years in corporate. So I have a sense of how it works. When people are poor performers, what typically happens is that the system throws them out, not totally out, but they do something. They push them into what they call a PIP, a performance improvement plan. I can tell you for free that 80% of those that are pushed into PIP are just kept there in the cooler. Nobody attends to them. Nobody. But what do they do? They tell you, we are going to review your case. You know, we are giving you six months. And in those six months, your line manager or the watchmen around will give you an assignment and they'll watch you and build. And at the end, they'll tell you, if those that will try, maybe the first month, you will have someone call you from HR and say, let's sit back and understand how are you faring. That's all. They never get to hold people's hands. I'm saying this with every sense of duty and respect. That's why when I hold the sessions in plant or I have to hold the sessions within the confines of uh, a vicinity, I want to look at the line manager's eyeball to eyeball. I want to look at the director's eyeball to eyeball because I'll be speaking to the truth of what they are doing and which is wrong. That's why people never come back. We always forget that there's always 
a season. There's a season in a man's life that he may not necessarily do well. Just like you have in football. There are seasons when Liverpool or Chelsea or Arsenal will mess up big time. But the following season, what happens? You'll find them topping the league. Why? Because to everyone, there is a season, there is a time, and there is purpose. You cannot take that away. It is written. Even the good book recognizes that. If you go to the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll see there. So friends, I'm saying this because diagnosing performance issues, people should take cursory look at it and do what is needful. Don't dump people because they are poor performance. No. And that's why we take it upon myself and I always put a charge to companies. I'll say, listen, throw all your poor performers to me. I mean, this is the time. You guys have done your half year. You've done your full year. Yes, some of these guys are not doing so well. Before you stack them, before you give them PIPs, or once you put anybody on a PIP, meaning performance improvement plan, just give us a call at Corporate Shepherds. Give them to me and give them to me and let them stay and spend three months. Those guys or ladies will turn around to be the stones that you would need to build a house because they'll come back smoking. Why? Because there's a process of managing change and transitioning. You're going to move people through a process one step at a time, but not many managers have the will. No, do they even have the capability to manage that process? They don't even understand what that process is. So they end up being more of judges than being facilitators of competence and capability because that's why they are managers. Friends, we'll be back on the second half as we continually look at how to diagnose performance issues and why people behave as they do. Don't go away. We'll be right back. This is Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds. Welcome, dear friends, um, to Navigate with ID. Just in case you are joining us for the first time, I bid you welcome. Uh, this is um, your business school on radio, and yours truly. I have the privilege and honor to share thoughts around very delicate and sensitive, but important business issues. And today, we're looking at the subject, diagnosing performance issues, why people behave as they do. I started this journey by talking about poor performance, by talking about the essence of diagnosing the root cause of performance issues, the tendency for people to do things they find rewarding, and that they also avoid doing things where there's a negative consequence or a payoff for them. The reason we do or don't do something is much influenced by the perceived rewards, penalties, which flow from actions. And so we landed at a point where I talked about the performance navigator and the performance navigator being a process which I'd like to take everyone through. It's about 15 steps. And we only started at the first step, which is about defining the specific performance behaviors, including the present undesirable ones and future desirable ones. That is to say, I ask that you take a plain sheet of paper, split it into two. On the left side, you need to list all of the present undesirable behaviors 
that you find within the subject or the performance issue. And on the right side, the future desirable behaviors, more of what you require, what you want to see, and to take it in that particular guise. Now, we're going to take um, each of the steps. You know, if you are conversant with a tree, the format of a tree, you'll see that in building that, as we get into a second step, we may decide, is it a yes or it's a no, what you would do and what you need not do. As we morph into the second step, which is do these matter in terms of actual performance? And you remember I asked you to have two sets. This was the first one, to define the specific performance behaviors you want to see. Less of required, more of what is required. You have to ask yourself a big question. Do these matter in terms of actual performance? That is, do these behaviors actually matter in terms of actual performance? If the answer is yes, then you go to the third step. If the answer is no, then you have to live with the situation and concentrate on what matters, meaning that you terminate at that point. But if the answer is yes, we will then morph into the third step. And the third step is very simple. It is a product of what you've gone through in the second step. Remember I said, do these behaviors matter in terms of actual performance? This is the step where you have to be honest with yourself. It may be that the scale of the problem does not matter in terms of actual performance, and somehow it has gotten out of proportion. Now, let me give you an example. Take somebody who produces, say, 10 million naira of good quality business every month, but is always a day late in submitting it, or where the issue irritates you personally. Perhaps a speech habit or mannerism. You know how people could actually have some dialects or intonation and it can be irritating to some. So, but which really does matter in terms of actual performance? Is it the way the guy speaks or the fact that he's always late at submitting what he does, his report? Now, many people actually major in minors and you need to ask yourself that question. Does that particular behavior matter in terms of actual performance? You may sometimes find people that find people who find fault with the other person because basically they are not like you, forgetting for the moment that it is what they actually do, which is the issue, that is their performance and behavior. The other side of the coin is to pretend that something does not matter when it does or to maintain that all your people are perfect and are working to their full potential. There are a lot of managers that live in this cuckoo land. They just hide and hide, hide issues. This does no one any favors, not the company, not the organization, not the department, not the individuals concerned, and not even you, Mr. Manager. Or it may be that one of the people would be doing a good, reliable job, but wants to stay in the security of their comfort zone and not take on anything new. So 
you need to ask yourself, is this acceptable into the future or will it in any way inhibit their future security or the team's performance? And that's the point I said, do these matter in terms of actual performance? That's the second step. If the answer is no, then the action is for you to live with the situation and concentrate on what does matter. If the guy has a speech habit or mannerism, that is not a major compared to the guy who does not submit his report. The same guy who does not submit a report at the right time, at the right moment, because that in itself could hamper the business. So you have to choose your battles. So if the answer is yes, the third question or the third step is you have to write this down. Does the person clearly know what is expected? Quite simply, if the person doesn't clearly know what is expected, then whether they succeed or not is a matter of chance of accident. Now, the need for you as the manager or the boss to mobilize skills of explicitness will be very key. Without explicitness, you, the manager, are actually the one, could be the one causing the trouble. Because there are very many managers who actually are not explicit. They don't know that they need to be very clear. If you don't speak well and crave understanding from the audience, the point is that person may not be clear about what is expected. Without explicitness, in the early stages of this whole process, people are not positioned to succeed. Rather, they are positioned to fail. If the person does not clearly know what is expected and is not performing well because of this, then the fault and responsibility is primarily that of the manager or the boss. This applies even when people have work delegated to them or are working in an empowered way. Friends, there, are, there is always an important distinction between knowing the standards and outputs required and the judgments and actions an individual takes to achieve these. So when you get to this third stage or the third step, the question you're going to ask is, does the person clearly know what is expected? If the answer is no, you need to describe what is required in explicit behavioral terms and monitor subsequent performance closely. This is one of the things that managers do not do. This is one of the things that leaders do not do. Why? Because it puts them on the saddle of work. They have a responsibility to the people they are leading. You have a responsibility to the people you are managing. Because of this process and the need to go through these points, you find a lot of lazy managers, officers, directors. What do they do? They outsource it or they turn a blind eye. But if you ask the question, does the person clearly know what is expected? And the answer is a yes. This is a point where you will be asking a very clear question. And that is, is it a can't do or a consistently won't do issue? This is where you apply the acid test, what I call the acid test. The acid test is, 
could the person do what was required if their life depended on it? Just put a pause on this particular acid test because it is coming out of the yes to the answer. Let us go to the portion where there was a no. Remember I said to you, this is like having a tree. If you go through a step and the answer is a yes, there's an action. If you say no, there's an action. So we'll go back to the no, where an action is required of you, which automatically takes us to the fourth step. That fourth step is being an action that you, the manager, you need to describe what is required in explicit behavioral terms and then monitor subsequent performance closely. This is what you do. In many situations, the simple and straightforward act of describing what is required in very explicit behavioral terms, addressing the issue firmly, being assertive, but you need a high dose of positive regard. We don't treat people as human beings. Have you seen where some managers actually talk down on the people? They, rather than being very clear on what they want to see and then monitor subsequent performance closely, they deride, they pull down, they castigate people rather than showing them what I call a positive regard. A positive regard makes all the difference. And very much early in the game, if you are able to get into this space, it will be so embedded that that individual will have every reason to want to change. When people know what is and what is not required, and there is no discretion about it, providing they have the capability, they will often quite simply deliver to their requirements. And what are those requirements? If that's what you want, that's what you'll get. That is why we have behavioral issues at work. Friends, you know, I said to you, on this business school, we're going to bring out some of the thorny issues that do not facilitate productivity. Because a lot of us are living in, in some different space and we tend to be doing a lot of stuff out of ignorance. When people are moving through the transition of change, being explicit is very helpful and enabling because explicitness provides clarity and certainty. Many times we even do the same in our homes to our kids. We are not explicit. We are not clear. We are not certain about what behaviors we want to see from our children. That's why a lot of times, because we are not closely monitoring their performance or performances at school, at home, with their friends, we are not explicit in carving out what they need to do with certainty. But what do we do? In the process, we create confusion and ambiguity. But I want to let you understand that whether it's your child or your colleague at work who you supervise with development and coaching, it is often appropriate. And I want you to understand that the focus is more on outputs and standards rather than how to achieve them. Because many times, what we tend to put our focus on 
is what we want out of it. So all I'm asking, when you get to this stage four or step four, you will naturally move into step five, which is, is the person now performing well? That is the point at which you will be asking yourself, based on the monetary, based on your subsequent consistent performance monitoring, you will ask yourself, you will ask the person the big question. Are you in a good space? And to you, you will ask yourself, is the person now performing well? If the answer is yes, then tell the person to reinforce this new behavior and he or she will continue and be better off. Now at stage five, this is the step five, you can actually cut off the, the process because it's very critical. But if the answer to stage five is a no, then you come straight into that space of what I call the acid test. Now, what does that mean? You're going to know, understand that when people know what is required and their performance consistently does not reach this level, one of two sets of reasons will apply, which I said, one, they can't do, that is, they don't have the skills, the knowledge, the competence required, or they won't do. That is, they don't have the will to do what is required or choose not to. That we often call what? Attitude. So it's a thing about skills and it's a thing about attitude. Skills or attitude. There is an acid test which is highly useful in analyzing whether the issue is a can't do or won't do one. And so it is all about, if the answer is no, then it's a skills issue. If the answer is yes, then it's an attitude. Why do I say so? The acid test is, could the person do what is required if their life depended on it? If the answer is no, then you know it is a skills issue. And if the answer is yes, then it is an attitude or what I call the wheel issue. Majority of poor performance issues, in my experience at the least, are won't do ones. That is, you find that the people concerned will not even meet the standards required if their lives depended on it, provided they knew clearly what was expected. But they could do if they had to. So what do you do? The tendency, however, is to answer the issue as a can't-do-one because it's often an easier option. Do you know that a lot of managers, and including the people being managed, they prefer the can't-do, but what is always hidden, which is the truth, is a won't-do. There are too many attitudinal characters all the time, and they do not in any way bring themselves to the point where they can strongly sit in a space where you can call them productive. And do you know why? Because such people don't like a challenge, but prefer support. They prefer support to challenges. And sometimes it takes a good mix of a high challenge and a high support 
to get good performance. So going into step six, step six now, I am going to focus on a lane which I'll call the can't do lane. So we have come out of the acid test and the answer is no, then it's a can't do issue. So I'm going to focus on can't do. Like I did say, if we will get to a certain point, if we can't close this, we'll continue in the next edition. I just hope you can figuratively follow me through this process and then understand that going forward, before you say to someone, you are fired, you as a manager, you as a director, or whatever title or name or role you play, you must have gone through this process because this process will actually help diagnose the root cause of the problem. And that is if it's a skill or an attitude issue. So let's go into step six. From this acid test, I'm going to focus on the skills issue that is a can't do. Now, when you come into step six, as a person, the big question is, has the person done the work correctly in the past? Has the person done the work correctly in the past? If the answer is a no, please, this is the action point. Provide specific and accurate training interventions and monitor the results. So you see, you would have an historical perspective to this because the person has not done the work correctly in the past. So obviously, you need to provide some training. But if the answer is yes, will then move swiftly to step seven. And step seven will require you as a manager to ask the question, does the person use the skills required regularly? Does the person use the skills required regularly? If the answer is no, then there's an action for you as a line manager. Please, this is your own responsibility increase the amount of practice and coaching. It means you need to coach the person a lot more. Don't throw him or her away. But many times, when we get to this point where we ask ourselves, does the person use the skills required regularly? And we say no. We say, ah, this person is not good enough. We outsource it. We don't take responsibility as line managers. But if the answer is a yes, that is... That is, if you ask the question, does the person use the skills required regularly? Remember this stage seven or step seven. And the answer is a yes. You increase the amount of feedback. You need to give a lot of feedback. You need to provide remedial training. You need to provide remedial coaching. And guess what? You need to monitor the result. So at every point in time, monitoring, monitoring, monitoring is very key. It is after you finish step seven, then you go step into the eighth stage. And the question at the eighth stage is, is the person still having problems? You can see how this is well sequenced. Is the person still having problems? If the answer is a yes, then you go to step nine. Step nine is now a systemic question. Is the job badly designed? Because sometimes it could be a systemic issue. 
It could actually be the business or the company or the organization that is causing it. Why? With a poorly designed job description or the rule was not well thought through. So at step nine, you'll be asking, is the job badly designed or could it be simplified? Line managers, directors, bosses, and whatever title you carry, you must get to a stage where you are asking this question. If the answer is a yes, because most times too, that you know the challenge is in the challenge. If the answer is a yes, then that job needs to be redesigned to simplify it where possible. It may also require reviewing methods and the tools and the equipment and the mood and the work mode. This is very critical. But many times, rather than the system taking responsibility, they blame it on the people. But it's not a people problem. It's a systemic issue. Is the job badly designed or could it be simplified? If it's a yes, please, management, redesign the job. Redesign the entire space to simplify it. If it's a no, then we move to step 10. What is step 10? Does the person have appropriate potential for this work? If the answer is a no, then the action there for management or the line manager is to redeploy to a suitable space or work if available. Otherwise, process exit. This is the point at which you exit an individual who has a can't-do attitude. Friends, I've taken you from stages one to ten. Between steps six and ten is where we have diagnosis of a can't-do or a skill issue. When we come back on Thursday, by the grace of God, we'll switch to the other side where we'll be looking at it from a won't do or attitude issue. I hope you found this quite interesting. It could really be a tasking one. Come Thursday, I'll start the entire process of the performance navigator again, but with a strict focus on the other side of the fence, which is about the won't do or attitude issue coming from the acid test. Thank you so much for listening, friends. Look forward to having a fresh time with you on Thursday on the next edition. Thank you so much and God bless. And that was Navigate with ID, brought to you by Corporate Shepherds.